Hello, and welcome to Nourish. My name is Kasha, and I'm a health and wellness entrepreneur and student of Taoism and Chinese medicine. On this podcast, I share the stories and tools from type A high achievers who have discovered that elusive state of balance between success and fostering connection, purpose, and inner awareness. Think yin and yang in flow. Now, I speak from experience when I share that I know firsthand how difficult it can be to integrate the two. I'm a type A Capricorn who spent 11 years ruthlessly climbing the ladder of success in Silicon Valley. But for me, hustling without balance just led to burnout. We need to nourish ourselves proactively. I hope this podcast offers you inspiration on ways to do just that so you can live the life of your dreams. Now let's jump into it. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Nourish Podcast. I'm your host, Kasha, and today I have such an exciting guest for you all, the one and only Stuart Cubley. He is the pioneer behind a very unique creative process, dare I say, therapeutic process of process painting. Process painting is a way of integrative and creative living through the practice of painting through art. And his method is one of respectful questioning and really inviting you to extend yourself into new areas of thought and feeling. This conversation is one that I'm so excited about. I've been really fascinated by the topic of almost like biohacking or kind of tapping into your creative flow for so many years. I grew up as a very creative child, somebody who worked really deeply with her imagination until probably the age of 14. And since then, I've just noticed this really steep decline when it comes to ideation and new creative ideas. Don't get me wrong, I am a product manager by trade, I'm an entrepreneur, so creativity is something that is really important to me in my personal and professional life, but I also am, for those of you who know me personally, a recovering perfectionist. And so I find myself very frequently running into creative blocks, may it be writing blocks, ideation blocks, and I was really curious to learn what could it look like to reprogram some of those blocks that I'm experiencing or even leverage the blocks to have a breakthrough in new creative ways. Stuart and I dive into all of this on this conversation. We, of course, talk about the process of process painting, but also how to really reframe the journey of creativity and creation itself. I found this conversation to be so eye-opening for me, both personally, spiritually, and honestly, professionally. So if you're someone out there who values creativity, imagination, and really wants to tap into that sense of play, perhaps even, I think this conversation will resonate with you so deeply, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. I hope you enjoy, and without further ado, let us welcome Stuart Cubley to the Nourish Podcast. Welcome, Stuart, to the Nourish Podcast. 
I'm happy to be here. Well, I'm overjoyed to have you here. This topic is one that I have been researching about for quite a bit, and I happened to stumble upon your beautiful workshop. I know you have one coming up in 2022 at Esalen, but you have one potentially in early 2023, so shouting that out already. But process painting, we have a lot to get into. But before we do that, I'm going to start with a question that I ask each and every guest, and that is, what are three words that you would use to describe yourself? So I, I want to share with you a little process I went through when, when you gave me that assignment, okay? Because I thought, I don't want to define myself by three words. <laughs> My whole work is about undefining people. It's not about defining people. And I said, I, I'm going to tell Kasia that I don't want to do that. Then as soon as I came to that conclusion, three words came to me. So I, I will share these three words with you. And it kind of surprised me. There were three words that start with C. The first one was curious, and that one really fits for me. I do feel I'm curious. I'm curious about people. I'm curious about the inner process of people. I'm curious about what's going on in the human psyche, and not just in a general theoretical way, but actually in the hands-on way. And that's, that's the work I do, really, through the process painting experience. It's really about entering another person's world and sharing that some of those most intimate moments about what's going on internally when a person engages the creative process. So that word came to me, curious. And then a couple other words came to me, but I feel like I need to qualify them a little bit. But the second word was compassionate. And I, I realized that to be able to do this kind of work that I do, people have to feel safe with me. They have to feel like, I'm not on some agenda trying to pigeonhole them. I'm not trying to shape their experience. I'm not trying to get them someplace, but I'm really interested in them and therefore compassionate for what they're experiencing. I think that's true, but I, I felt like I need to qualify it because it's more challenging for me to be compassionate when I see what's going on in the world and what, what certain people are doing politically and so on. So I realized him, I probably still have some work to do about being compassionate. Um, the third word was consistent. And that feels true. I am consistent. I've been doing this for 40 years, over 40 years consistently. It's been my main focus. I lead classes on a weekly basis, as well as weekend workshops. I do that consistently. I have people return time and time again. They have been painting with me for often extended periods of time, years. I'm consistent with presenting a, an opportunity and a, an environment in which they know they can, they know what they're going to expect and they know that they can explore in that environment. So there is that kind of consistency, but I want to qualify it too, because in terms of certain, all of the details of life, sometimes I lose the consistency. For example, I felt like engaging with you, Kasia, around this event coming up, I kept thinking, oh my God, it's coming up and I haven't answered her yet. Or I haven't, you know, there's all sorts of details which I don't follow through with as well as I could. So anyway, that's also qualified. But I do think those three words fit and I, and they just showed up, you know, like I was going to say no to you. I'm not going to do that. And then they just showed up. So there they are. I love that. And I almost wonder, and we're definitely going to get into this, but the creative process 
very frequently works that way, right? Like I noticed on the Esalen workshop page, you spoke to the fact that creative blocks can kind of open the door to many things that are unexpected. So I almost wonder if the decision to not qualify yourself with three words and kind of blocking that almost like created some sort of new loop in your mind. <laughs> that's beautiful. You know, that's very insightful of you, Kasia. By the way, I love the research that you did for this mm. conversation we're having. I really felt like, oh, she's really taking this seriously. Look, she's gone out of her way to research this and explore it mm. before we talk. So I just want, I want to acknowledge that. But what you just said is true. There's something about creative blocks. And um, what I often listen to when I'm working with somebody who has a creative block, it's like, it's how much they don't want to do it. What's the intensity of their rejection? And you picked up on that with me just now, because here I was saying, I don't want to label myself with three words, but I was a little bit too reactive, wasn't I? There was another level there. And it, and as soon as I opened a little bit, it came to me, hey, there's mm -hmm. three words I could actually use. So there is something... I think rather profound about one if you're a, if we are observant of when we object too much it usually means hey there's something hidden here mm. there's a doorway here that the surface ego is saying no to I'm not going there whereas there's a deeper current that wants to take us there mm. I love that. I absolutely love that. And that's a really powerful way of reframing the things that we feel resistant towards, right? Like yes. it kind of yeah. stimulates that curiosity. That is beautiful. That is really powerful. And what a way to kick it off. But I know we've been mentioning a couple of terms on here, so I want to make sure that the audience becomes familiar with, you know, a lot of the foundation of this discussion, which is this fascinating work of process painting. So could you start by defining for the audience, for me, like what exactly is process painting? And then we'll, of course, dive into um, how it works and why it is so profound. Sure. You know, it's really simple. It's painting for process rather than product. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's a pretty radical thing. I mean, it seems so simple, right? Oh, I'm just painting for process rather than product. But look what that entails. And look how painting and, and more generally art has is not, even though it may involve process, it's usually ultimately gauged by the product. And whether you like it or you don't like it, or whether others like it or they don't like it, or whether it's worth money or not worth money, or whether it says something profound or doesn't say something profound, the ultimate value seems to be associated with a product. And here we're saying something quite different. What if the, the real value was in the process itself? And what's going on then in that process? What makes it valuable? And so that's what we explore in, in process painting. That's what we engage and that's what we talk about really is what's going on in those moments when you are faced with the creative process with your face with for example with that white piece of paper we work on paper we don't work on canvas we keep it pretty simple and we work with a, most people with a, a water-based paint like a tempera or gouache some people use uh, acrylic that's fine but what happens when you are when you bring yourself in a really open state to that blank void and you're not given an assignment by me. 
You're not being saying, okay, today we're going to paint such and such. So that you are really left on your own here in a supportive way. You're not going to be told what to do or how to do it. There's no instruction given. And this applies for people who have never picked up a paintbrush before or people who have a lot of experience painting. They're still going to have to confront that creative void inside of them. And what do they do? What, what do we do when we, are, when we don't know, when, we're not, when we don't have a hook yet to follow? And I think for this to be an effective experience for people, there has to be a quality of, of uh, respect, of safety and respect in the, in the environment. And this, this is true for whether I'm teaching a workshop in a, in a retreat center like Esalen, where we might have 40 to 50 people painting at the same time in the room. It can be a huge group. Or if I'm working online and I have 20 to 30 people, or even smaller groups, it doesn't matter. It's, is, is there a quality there where a person can let down their hair, so to speak, where the person can drop their, their guard, where they're, they, they know that they're not going to be judged by what they do. They know that they're not going to be compared to anyone else. They know that they're going to be met with a quality of, uh, of respect and curiosity and engagement and encouragement to go their own way, not to try to follow some prescription, not, not to necessarily even make a, make a painting that looks good, but to follow their feeling, to follow their own individual thread in that moment. Like, where would that take you if you had the courage to follow that? Are you willing to confront the unknowingness that's involved in that? Are you willing to, to not know? You know, there's a, there's a course I teach called The Principles of Process Arts, and it's, it's based on seven kind of essential principles that I've discovered or at least given, been able to give words to in this process. And the very first one is not knowing. How willing are you to really not know? And I mean, everyone engages that. I'm sure you do when you're about to interview somebody for a podcast. The most valuable thing you have, I would guess, Kasia, which is I, it's true for me, is my own curiosity in that person. You're curious about me. You want to hear from me. You, you're, you want to encourage me. You're not going to judge me. Your, your point is not to be judgmental about me and try to counter something that I say. But you, you want me to unfold. You want your, the person you're interviewing to, to feel relaxed enough where they can really come out of themselves. And that's when it gets really interesting and creative and, and unexpected and surprises you even. And then even you surprise yourself probably with some of the things you say. And that's the creative process, right? So that, that's the first requirement really is for people to feel that degree of respect and safety and non, non-comparison, non-judgmental atmosphere. And then things happen. And just imagine, like you're, you're, you mentioned to me, you, you, you might be interested in painting with me sometime. Imagine you come to Esalen and we're, we're in the dance dome. Do you have, you, you know, the dance dome at Esalen? Have you been to Esalen? I've been to Esalen once before. I don't remember exactly which there, building there's that a is. Big, it's that big bubble-like thing right down uh, on the yeah, coast. Yeah. There's a, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great big, it's a big structure. So anyway, we, we set it up and we have all these painting stations all around the, the edges. And then there's, there's tripods set up in the middle of the room. And, there's, and then there's painting tables with the colors laid out. There are probably maybe eight tables or so. And, and with a whole string of colors and each color has its own water. It's all well organized. And then you have your own painting spot that you've chosen when you come in. 
and um, you have your own brushes. There's a little packet of brushes there for you. And so we will gather in the a circle to begin with and, and just talk about some of the things that I just mentioned to you about what we're going to be doing and kind of the structure of it and how, you know, uh, we're not going to tell you what to do, but that we're going to be available to you. And I work with a number, for example, and I go to Essel and I'll have three other co-teachers with me. So we are present in the room. We're walking around and depending upon what a person needs or what kind of questions come up or uh, so many different things, we're available. But we ne we're not available to tell you what to do, but we're available to join you in the experience you're having and, and, and bring our own experience to that. And then, of course, so many interesting things happen because look at the diversity of the people who come into a workshop. There's, there's all ages, you know, we don't have really young, I think that maybe the, the youngest would be in the teens, but, but there's all ages, there's all, you know, there's, there's all sorts of flavors of people with all sorts of different experiences behind them and with a whole, with lifetimes of experiences. And so what occurs on the paintings is just so fascinating because everybody, first of all, has to confront their not knowing. And then, you know, I might make an announcement about not waiting too long to get started. So you don't get to be paralyzed, right? <laughs> and then, so you got to go take a color. So then, well, how do you take a color for Pete's sake? You know, you haven't been told what to do, but maybe if you, if you drop down a little bit into yourself, you'll notice that a color calls you, that a particular color calls you at the, in the moment, just in that moment. And then sometimes we get into an argument with ourselves about, oh, is that the right color? Or maybe that's not good enough color. Or maybe, I, maybe, maybe. But I'm saying, no, take that first color that comes to you. And you take the color and you go back to your painting and there's that white piece of paper. And in a similar way, if you listen internally, if you're present for your own internal experience, you're going to notice that the brush would be more attracted to go to a particular location on the painting, that there's some place it would just normally gravitate towards in that moment. And you say, okay, I hear you. I don't know what to do, but you're saying go here. And then you go there with a brush and you'll notice the brush seems to know what to do. The brush has a mind of its own, so to speak. Of course, it's your mind, but it's a deeper mind. But the brush seems to have a gesture to it or maybe a repetitive feeling to it, or maybe it's making something quite large and, and filled in, or maybe it's something very delicate, but the brush seems to have a, a direction and a way of painting that it wants to go. And so then your job is to follow that and, you, and to do it as long as it wants to do that. And when it stops wanting to do that, it's going to tell you, you're going to start to feel like, mm, I don't want to do that anymore. And then you're, you come back to your own not knowing. You're being willing to return to, okay, I don't know what to do next. And that's such, so important, Cassio, is that willingness to return to that source, that creative source, which is really not knowing, to let it, again, speak through you freshly. And then you may go back to the table and find another color, or you may notice that an image has popped in your mind. You might notice that something that you actually painted there looks like something. You didn't expect it to be that, but now, oh, that looks like. And so then one of my questions to you would be, oh, do you respect that? Do you respect what just came to you? Or do you want to override it, right? You know how that works. The, the ego wants to come in. Oh, that would be silly oh, yeah. to do that. <laughs> <laughs> or that would be too superficial to do that. Or I don't know how to paint that, so I shouldn't try it. So there's all those voices that we have to be aware of, but, but 
we have to come back to the fact that, wait a minute, it presented itself. Do I respect what presents itself to me from that space of not knowing? Do I, do I respect the sor- that source, the depth of that source itself? And if I do, then I'm going to follow it. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let that image, if that's what I saw, I'm going to paint it. And, and by the way, the way that I saw it in my mind's eye is probably not the way it's going to turn out. It's going to turn out in a really different way. It might even be a, a different kind of image, but that's what showed up. And then how do I hold that? That's part of the work too. Okay, so this thing has shown up on my painting and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I didn't plan to do it, but now it's here. How do I hold that? Do I judge it? You know, there's a good chance that the that there's a judge there lurking in the background, ready to come forth and to tell you that that is stupid. You either have to get rid of it or maybe you need to start the painting over again. Maybe you need a completely new piece of paper or maybe you should cover it up because it's not good enough. But again, if you're willing to come back to that question, well, look, it came from this unknown place in me. Can I respect that? Here it is. What if I ask it where it wants to go rather than get all tangled up in whether I like it or not? Where does it want to go? And the painting proceeds like that. There's a, and there's all these waves where you can get very energized and you just feel so passionate and you can't, the brush can't move fast enough. And then other times you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing and, and maybe I'm finished and maybe I should get a new piece of paper. And then there's the whole question of completion. How do you really know you're complete? When is that journey really over? Is it because you've decided it's over and you're fed up or has it really gone to the end? And what does it mean? How do you know when it really goes to the end? How do you know when you have completed this journey internally, which is reflected on the piece of paper in front of you, but the journey is really internal. It's not really on the paper. It's an internal exploration that has a beginning and a middle and an end. Have you, have you followed it to the end? And so that's a question that comes up. And we have conversations with people. Uh, we'd like to talk to you before you take your painting off the wall. And it's not because we are some experts on when a painting is complete, but it's more to bring this question to you. Do you feel complete? A lot of times people will say, you know, I don't, but I don't like it. and I want to get out and I'm uncomfortable. That's usually an incompletion in that case, like in life, right? We know that. So then it's a question of, okay, what do we need to do? What is it still calling for? So that's a very fertile investigation. And this is part of what we do as facilitators is to have that conversation with people. And then you finish the painting. You come to a completion, you finish the painting, and you think, wow, I got through that. But, but we're only half over. There's still another couple hours in our set or another hour in our session. What am I going to do? We're going to give you another piece of paper and have you dive back in. And so you see what's going on. You're, you're kind of, first of all, you're tapping into this potential in your own psyche, which is, is really a very deep creative potential, but it's not to be shown to the world. You may end up showing it. That's fine, but that's not your purpose. The purpose is not the product. The purpose is this using this tool for a kind of internal exploration. It's almost, it's, it's very much, it's very akin to a meditation, so to speak, because you are, you're following your, this internal thread. And, you know, the determining factor in the thread, I, I often talk about, uh, Kasha, is uh, energy. I, I use the word energy. This is really, you know, you might use the word excitement or, but sometimes it's, it's aversion, like we just talked about. 
like when I just told you, I don't want to come up with three words to define myself. There was an aversion. But if, if somebody told me in their painting what they don't want to paint, I would get very interested for this very reason. Because if they are passionate about what they don't want to paint, it probably means they need to paint it. There's energy because there's energy there. And so what if you make energy your guide rather than whether you like or don't like something, but just the quality of energy? Do you feel attracted to doing it or do you feel definitely unattracted? What's the intensity of the energy? That's for me, is a much more reliable guide than first, whether you like the painting or not, and second, whether it, it makes sense or not. Because we often, we often get frozen because we think we're not making sense and we should make sense. There should be some cohesion. There should be some underlying message behind what I'm painting. And that, of course, blocks us too. So you can see this, this is really a practice. You know, who are the best students are children. And I started out early on working with children. I worked with uh, first through third graders doing this process. And they taught me. They're, they actually taught me this process because when if they were given free reign where they knew that they weren't going to be judged by what they did and they didn't have to do what the teacher said and they weren't given an assignment, they just flowered. They loved having a brush in their hand. They loved the colors. They loved being able to go there and not knowing what they're doing and have something happen. And so we love that too as adults. We just have to rediscover that we love it. And that there's an intelligence to it. It's not just, okay, so what? Free expression. Okay, you've made some marks. You've done some images. Big deal. On the contrary, what led you to do what you did? There is a meaning in it. We don't interpret the painting. We're not looking superficially to interpret the painting, but there's a deep meaning in following this intelligence and this creative intelligence that is internal. And it, it changes your life, really. When you connect with that, you realize, wow, it's not just in painting. There's this creative intelligence, which is not like thinking. It can show up in your thinking. It can inspire your thinking, but it's the source is not in your reasoning. It's not in your intellect. Mm -hmm. And it speaks through energy, like which is feeling. It speaks through an emotional component, too. So this, for me, is really what the painting is about. Yeah. It's about using the tool of painting, the process painting is about it. it's using the tool of painting for this kind of internal discovery. Wow. Oh my gosh. Like, first of all, I feel I'll share this on a personal note and I wasn't even planning to get into this, but I feel like everything that you just described as I'm hearing it, like, I feel like I can resonate with this journey so deeply. And it's as though your words of describing process of process painting, I can relate it to especially the stage of life that I'm in, where I'm kind of in this stage where I'm ideating and exploring more in a creative sense around business and what I'm creating in that world. And having you kind of walk through this like very, it sounds flowy, but also just very intuitive process of following the ping and the energy and kind of allowing one door to lead to the next. I mean, it's completely mind-boggling to me right now because I'm a type A structured personality and I know a lot of my listeners are as well. It's it's what attracted me to Chinese medicine, it's what attracted me to mindfulness and the idea of painting for painting's sake just sounds so foreign to me as somebody who is constantly looking for okay, I'm going to paint this, put it on my wall, there's an end goal and I approach 
every aspect of life the same way. And I know that so many people do. And that's why I just wanted to reflect how powerful just having you explain a different approach to almost like the way you go through life, like painting being one activity that in changing the process around that can really reframe a lot of how we experience the world, where it's not just about the end goal, but how the process can A, lead to this layer of depth that might have been hidden, but also it can kind of reframe or even change our direction in ways that we wouldn't have known when we looked at the blank canvas to begin with. And I'm using the canvas almost like as a metaphor for life because it just hit me like a ton of bricks as you were speaking. But that's just wild, completely wild. That's wonderful. You know, I was thinking of you, Cassia, with, you know, with the, what you're doing with your podcast. And, you know, I know there's a whole business side related to that. And there's the whole question of success and, and, and making a, a way for yourself in the world. And there's all that. But there's something else driving you, I think. You are, it seems to me, you are genuinely interested in people. You are passionate, really, about that. You're curious. You know, I brought up that word, but you're curious you wouldn't be, it seems to me, you wouldn't be doing this otherwise. And so there's a creative process going on there that is not just about the product. It's like you're following something in yourself and you don't know exactly where it's going to go. And there is all this, there are, there are all these layers in which you have to kind of deal with the product. But it feels to me like there's, there's, there's a current there in, at the heart of it that really has to do with you showing up as you in, in only the way you could. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for reflecting that, by the way, because, and I know that a lot of the audience listening to this can relate to that as well. I have a lot of people who tune in, who are switching careers, who are trying to tap into that creative process. And that's why I was so excited about this interview, because a lot of people struggle with that. And I know that you mentioned um, how children have been your best teacher. In fact, I, you answered the question before I even asked it. I swear, I feel like we're connected <laughs> somewhere, you know, silently, psychically. I was like, I wonder where this process came to be. But, you know, as I was researching for this interview, as you're aware, because I shared it in the outline, which, you know, yes, there's a creative process, but I like to come somewhat prepared. So I think painting will be really <laughs> tough for me. But um, there was this really interesting study that was conducted in 1968 by a researcher called George Land, and he was trying to measure creativity using this kind of NASA-based uh, measurement methodology, and the results were just crazy. And when I looked at them, you know, it was no wonder to me when you were reflecting that children can so easily tap into that. It, it seems, you know, the data also supports that, which is just wild, where uh, five-year-olds were like 98% creative, like could tap into their creativity in this like really powerful way. And the numbers in terms of like creative, I guess, abilities would go down as you got older. So 10-year-olds, 30%, 15-year-olds, 12%. And then adults, a study given to 280,000 adults, 2% kind of like creative range available to them. And I just yeah. found that to just be crazy. And I wanted to actually get your thoughts on that. What is it? You know, is it kind of like, you know, with aging, things decline, right? Or you mentioned it's a, there's like this aspect of unlearning. I mean, you've been working with so many people at this point. 
what are your thoughts on kind of what you know, what's being shown in the data and and what you're seeing with the people that you're working with, like is creativity something that's just hidden or or does it fade with age? Yeah, what a great question. You know, the thing about children, they've also, there's been studies done and I couldn't quote one right now, but there's been studies done that show that creativity for children, it helps their nervous system to mature. Now think about how children play, you know, that they, at the drop of a hat, they're going to find something in their environment and they're going to they're going to make believe with it. And they're going to start having imaginary characters show up and they're going to have imaginary conversations and there's a whole there's a whole creative journey that unfolds in their mind around their play and their in their play. So, you know, what is that? Is is that just some sort of random thing that children do or is there a reason for it? Is there some way in which that is a healthy response to their environment at that age? And I think it's been shown that that play, that play, that freedom that they have to imagine, to engage through imagining, to be tactile in their engagement is really essential to the development of themselves as, as they get older, development of the nervous system and the, their own in, in intelligence. So it really it serves a function. Now, is that true for us as adults too? Does it stop once we get to be a certain age? Or do we continue to grow through the creative process? And does it continue to have effects on us that bring us to more maturity? And what would that mean, actually? What does that mean, more maturity? I mean, we're adults, so what? how mature are we going to get? But of course, that is a spectrum that doesn't have an end. And but the fact is, as adults, look what happens. And when they, when they made that, that's a fascinating study. And they realized that, that people, as they got older, lost that ability for creativity. And, you know, it's pretty clear why that is, isn't it? We, we have to define ourselves. We have to choose a profession. We have to find it. We have to fit into the existing structure of society. We have to fit into the the existing structure of ethics of what people feel is okay to be and not okay to be. We have to define ourselves or else we feel too vulnerable in the world. We have to politically define ourselves or else we, you know, we, we don't know how to fit in. We have to form a self-image and in doing so, we lose something essential. We harden around those definitions and we lose something essential in terms of our own, the possibilities of our own development. And so that's why I feel that there's, there's, an, there's a spiritual aspect to this work in terms of spiritual development, if you, want to, if you want to use that word, in terms of a greater maturation of the human psyche, of the adult human psyche, and becoming freer and freer from the need for hard and fast definitions and the, the sense of oneself that actually exists beyond the definitions. You know, that for me is really where the the process painting will lead you if you follow it is that there's there's a, a a chance as an adult to continue your development and to go beyond self-definition and then of course we enter the realm of well what does that mean if we are not going to be defined by culture by our past experience by and by all of the you know all the material aspects of our lives who who are we really what what do we have access to so that for me is the is really the exciting part of this and I 
And I realized that it leads there. If you if you follow it, it leads there. You're going to come come away with a a sense of being less burdened by yourself, by your concept of yourself. You're going to feel, oh, I don't have to act that way. I I can listen more deeply and see where the energy is. I can see where my real interests lie. I you know I'm not bound by that old definition that I've been dragging around for so long. And and how many of these can I get let go of? You get curious. Wow, how what if I didn't need that either? And then, you know, sometimes there's the fear, well, gee, I'd be out of control completely if I didn't have these these limits to myself. But do we trust that there is an internal intelligence that is is appropriate, that is wanting to have us be more in contact and more respectful and more and more profound in our in our interaction with life? Or or are we going to get out of control and become, you know, crazed? I, you know, I think we uh, we can trust it. Oh, this brings me to a question that I am just dying to ask you, and it's a personal one. So feel right. free to answer it however you see fit. And by the way, as you were saying, slight tangent, just quickly before I dive into that, you're like, we define ourselves in the world. I was like, we define ourselves with three words. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that's why I. That's, that's why I happened. rebelled at first. That's why I rebelled, but then I realized, oh, oh, I can do that. I'm I'm still not defined by those words. Yeah, though, so. absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, just this conversation, I think, opened up so many additional wor- words, excuse me, that you could throw in there. So I just want to say that, you know, it just can go on and on. You're a business owner, okay? You also, it sounds like, are very deeply in the process of process painting, but also it sounds like you really, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a almost like philosophy around how you live that kind of becomes, you know, the the way that you live your life kind of overlaps with some of the process that you were describing, I assume, right? Like in the ability to hold and let go, to try new things, to be unkind of unattached necessarily to a set outcome. But there are also these practicalities of running a business. You've built up this incredible business around process painting. How do you balance the two? And this is like the million dollar question, right? Like balancing both the yin and the yang. And I know that I didn't put this in my outline, so you're going to answer just as it comes. But because that's something that I know so many people strive for. And I'll speak from my own experience. I feel like there are these two sides of myself, the the side of myself that goes to Esalen, the side of myself that meditates in the morning, and then the side of myself who shows up every single day, does work, you know, spearheads new partnerships, whatever. So how do you balance both in your life? You know, I don't think I have a good answer for that. <laughs> that is an ongoing challenge, of course, for everybody. And look how complex it's got with increasing technology, look at the uh, amount of things you can actually do now. I mean, when I grew up, things were fairly simple in that regard. It didn't seem like, but still, now you can be so spread out and so thinly spread with trying to do too much that you can you can lose the the ground you're standing on, right? You can get too you can get so fragmented with all the different things that are required to do what you're trying to do. And, you know, I don't have a good answer for that. I struggle with it too. And I think that it's a matter again of, I, I think that what I listen, try to listen to, and I'm not always 
successful at it the way that I would like to, but is where is the energy? Because, you know, Kasia, if you certainly your energy, you get lit up when you consider going to Esalen and, you know, that's exciting for you. There's good energy there. You know, you feel like I want to go there. I, I love driving down the coastline to get there. That's such a beautiful drive. And I, and I feel, and I love the idea that I'm, I'm heading to something that I don't really know what's going to happen. And that's exciting to me. And so there's, you know, that aspect of it you have no problem with, right? I mean, that, and that feeds you too. But then when you're doing the work that you're doing too, what about the asking yourself about the energy? There's certain things we have to do that don't have a lot of energy, at least for me, like the finances, you know, balancing the books, working with my accountant, you know, I have to do it. I don't have a lot of energy for it, but I think what I, I've, I've learned that is I feel better when it's in order. My energy is more in balance when it's in order. So actually there's a pretty good energy there when I think that when that's in order, I have more space in my, myself to follow a creative outlet. So I have to do it, but I don't have to do it with regret or with, you know, you know, I don't, I don't have to wish I were doing something else when I'm doing that. I can, I can say, Hey, this is important. I'm going to do it, but I struggle with it. I'm not saying I'm, I'm a good practitioner of this, right? I can give some advice, but it's hard. It really is. I think in this culture right now, at this era, we are being challenged with an immense uh, realm of possibilities. When you look at all the possibilities you have with that, with the business you're starting, all the research that you can do, the people you can invite to have a conversation with, the platforms that you're finding to put it up on, the social media in which you can talk about it and make it available to people. It is so vast what you can do. It's easy to get a bit lost in that. And I think if we do get lost in it, we lose something of the essence of what we're doing, right? So, you know, it's hard to take in that less might actually be more because the, the more is so available to us. But what if less were actually more and that it were not? And I, you know, I struggled with this, of course, putting this business together over the years. It's like, do I have enough people to make my workshop? Am I doing enough marketing to get the people that I need to make it work? And, you know, that was kind of, that's an ongoing question, right? Workshop by workshop. But if you come down to what if, you really believe in what you do, and maybe you're not marketing it in the in the in the ultimate way in which you could be marketing it. But what if you really believe in what you do, and you bring the quality to what you do? That's so grounding. And then you leave it up to the gods. Then you leave it up to the unknown forces, right? The unseen forces. If you're really doing good work, the right people are going to find you. Can you trust that? Do you actually dare to trust that? It doesn't mean you just crawl into a hole and don't be, be out there. But what does it mean to make that the priority rather than how many people you reach on a particular given day through your social media? So those are some of the questions I struggle with. I don't have a good answer to them, but they that feels important to me. And maybe I can do it now more than I could do it as a younger person. I think I am just being more, you know, having done it for so long, you know, there is a community of people that, that knows what I do, respects what I do. So, you know, that's maybe less of a pressure, but also I think I got worn out worrying about all that. I think it tired me. You know, I just realized that's not really inspiring me to, to have to push that aspect of things. What if I did really what 
what I care about. And I, and I guess this is now also a question for me. I'm 77. I'm kind of, people ask me, are you still working at 77? Don't, don't you want to retire? And, you know, I don't want to retire, but I don't want to push either. I feel like there's, there's more creative things that are in store for me and things that, that really involve me more on an internal level than about trying to push the external. So that, you know, and that could have certainly has to do with the age and kind of where I am in my own life. You might have said you you didn't have a good answer for that, but I actually got a lot out of that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, over the course of our conversation, I haven't even experienced a workshop yet, which I'm so excited to do. And I feel like this is absolutely calling to me. But, you know, following the energy and two other things that I'm going to take away also is, you know, allowing it to be more about the journey than just the end goal, which I definitely get focused on the end goal. And the and this is just from our conversation. So I can't even imagine after I actually practice process painting. But I think also you mentioned about allowing yourself to like redefine, you know, kind of allow yourself to redefine the painting. And you're talking now about like redefining maybe what your work looks like. And I think, you know, there's this sticky feeling to being put in a box where you feel like you're climbing a very straight vertical ladder. And so I really, I really do love the the notion of allowing that to be more fluid and allowing yourself to to change and make changes. So I feel very inspired by that. So thank you for sharing all of that. Well, and I think that's what you have going for you as a good interviewer. <laughs> Look, you you really listen. And you take it in personally and you work with that. And, you know, that's, that's a gift. Thank you so much. Stuart, I could speak with you for hours, but we're coming up on our time. So I want to make sure that you can share with our audience, where can people find you? What do you have coming up? If you want to mention any key things, and I'll link everything in the show notes, of course. Well, I guess the first place is the website, which is Process Arts. Big surprise, right? The, the name, processarts.com. Prior to COVID, I was doing probably two workshops in person a month all over the country and some in Europe. And um, post-COVID, I'm big change for me. I'm only going to be doing three or four workshops a year uh, in person. And the rest is online, which I had started pre-COVID, but now it's it really developed. And so I teach a, uh, two classes a week online, and I have weekend workshops online. Uh, once a month or so. And that really works for me. In a way, I feel like the online environment and the and the structure that we work with in the painting is even more intimate than being in person. And for one reason is that everyone hears everything. So if you're painting, Cassia, and, and you raise your hand and we have a conversation, and yet there you are standing in front of your painting, and you're you're telling me about what came up for you while you're painting it and what thoughts you're having about it and kind of if you're feeling blocked or, or inspired, whatever, we have a very personal conversation, but everyone who's online with us in that group hears it. And so they take something from that too. If it's inspiring for you and for me, it's going to be inspiring for some of them too. It's going to relate to their experience. It's amazing how that camaraderie and that feeling of being part of a intimate and 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 how should i say supportive group works for everybody in that way uh that's also true 
in the in-person classes, but it's just not quite so available because the room is big. You don't hear everything going on. You only might hear me or the facilitator talking to the person next to you, but you don't hear everything. So I love working online. It really suits me at this time. I love working in person, and but I'm definitely going to be doing less of it. So those are the things coming up. I also have some online courses. And these are self-paced courses that a person can really go more in-depth into the process that, that I've talked about today. One is called, the first course is called The Principles of Process Arts. And then there's a follow-up course, which is um, the first one would then be a prerequisite for. The follow-up course is called The Art of Facilitating. And it's for people who are wanting to learn how to, f- to facilitate this process. And of course, the people who were involved in the courses are also painting with me. So they have the direct experience as well as getting the, the more general understanding. And then we have, um, after the art of facilitating, we have a uh, process arts practicum that is taught by p- my own people I've trained and who work with me. And they, they actually give you hands-on experience facilitating others. And it's all done online. And so the people who are in the practicum are, are taking turns leading uh, a workshop and, and then getting feedback from the, uh, from the senior facilitators. So there's a whole spectrum of things that people can do. But I, I really love working with somebody who shows up for the first time and doesn't know quite why they're there. And it's exciting for them and it's exciting for me. And, um, you know, it's, it's always different. Well, you're going to experience a perfectionist in your workshop very soon. So (laughs) all my perfectionist friends, if you're listening to this, join me. (laughs) We can uh, go through the process, no pun intended, or pun intended, I guess, together. Yeah, I cannot wait. You know, Cassia, what (laughs) what I'm willing to do, I'm going to guarantee that if you paint with me, that every painting you do will be perfect. Oh, I mean, (laughs) I guess I would be curious to see if I can actually recognize that it's perfect within myself. The whole thing is in the recognition, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Stuart, this was an absolute delight. I am overjoyed to have you on as a guest. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I really enjoyed you. Yes, yeah. And I, I loved your questions. Thank you. Thanks everyone for tuning in and see you next time. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Nourish. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider leaving a review or sharing it with a friend. Reviews really help this podcast grow and reach a larger audience. And I'm so grateful for that. I publish new episodes twice a month. So hit the subscribe button to be notified. See you next time.